Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. And welcome back to The Impostress. A few emails sent into The Impostress head office asking us, what have you done with Graham? Well, we've got good news and we've got good news. The good news is he's back. And the other good news is today he's joined by two new Impostress voices, a guest, Veronica Beach, and a co-host making her Impostress debut, Maria Polomera. Firstly, Veronica Beach. Veronica is arguably the most awarded producer in the business, having landed iconic campaigns including Dove Real Beauty Sketches, Burger King's The Proud Whopper and Coca-Cola's Crazy for Good. Veronica was head of global production at David, where she was a founding member of David and moved to Brazil to open Sao Paulo and Buenos Aires production departments. While living in Brazil, serving a dual role leading global production for Ogilvy Brazil, Veronica is the original founder and now partner of The Pool House. The Pool House is a social network for producers in TV, film and advertising. If there's anything that producers need, it's a place to be more social. Joining Veronica and Graham is Maria Paula Mera, strategic planner at DDB Ecuador and course facilitator for the Can Lions Roger Hatchell Academy and Ecuador's representative for the Google Creative Lab. Recently, Maria Paula Mera, at the risk of sounding like an overachiever, was shortlisted for Emerging Talent of the Year by Creative Pool and was also selected for the See It Be It program. What a lineup! What an episode. Take it away, Graham. Oh my God, that's amazing. You have oh, the sketches yeah. over there? Yeah, those are the original ones. They're my, my baby. Very good. <laughs> yeah, these are two of the originals. And when I left David um, in Ogilvy, Brazil, I was like, can I have, I actually realized I don't even have a lion of my own. And I was just like emailing with, with lions last week. And I was like, what lions did I win for this? Cause I'm like, which one should I, I'm going to buy myself a lion. I'm like, look at this. You don't even have one. First and foremost, welcome to the Impostress, Veronica Beach. Big part of um, Impostress, well, the main thing is all about imposter syndrome. And a lot of the guests we've talked about have talked about having got through it. You know, we're on the other end of it. We're old, we're experienced, we're battle scarred, and we've got our coping strategies. But we have um, Maria with us today. Maria's my co host, and um, she's right at the start of her career, can give a far better perspective on just what it's like at the sharp end. So, hello, Maria. Hello. We are very lucky to have Veronica Beach with us today. And one of the great things about Impostress is that we get to speak to our heroes. And we were searching around, looking for for people. And um, who better than the most decorated female in Lions history, which is Veronica. Thank you so much for joining us, Veronica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really amazing to have you. Like we were talking about this before. I've seen your work. I, I grew with your work in school. I saw every video and 
it was viral and not not only from my school but also from my family my friends they usually shared um well some of your work and it was amazing so it's a pleasure to have you really oh thank you it means a lot i appreciate that within agencies within creative there's you know it's not just about the creative department i mean arguably everybody's in the creative department that's certainly how it should be and um you're a shining example of that on the face of it fake it till you make it sounds like a negative thing but it's actually because it has the word fake in it but it's actually an incredibly positive thing because you know it's just keep going you'll find a way you'll find a way i mean how do you um be the the positive one in the room <laughs> the one that yep yeah, sure we'll find a solution because there must have been multiple times when you would just had the the thousand yard stare and what the are we doing right <laughs> what if it you know I mean, I was joking around recently. I'm like, I don't know why anybody listens to me. Like I legit have, don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like I don't have like, a, like the magic ball. I'm not like, oh, the magic ball says to like, you know, go left. Like, I don't have that. I'm like, let's do this. And everyone's like, okay. And I'm like, why are you following me off the bridge? Like I legit don't know what I'm doing. Like, um, but I, I, I definitely, I mean, I remember being in my late twenties and producing and being like, I can't wait till I'm 30 because then people are going to take me seriously. I think it's just, you know, having the ability to, um, I mean, I have, I think it becomes down to having the ability to just knowing what you want. Um, and, I think that um, I've always been, since I was a kid, I always knew exactly what I wanted. And so when I go into a production, I always try to say this to my producers, like, do what you want. <laughs> and you lead the creatives there. So like, you need to know what you want. You know, it's your project too. The creatives have like their endpoint, like this is what they want, but like, what do you want? you know, and how do you want this story to end? And then, you know, getting them there. I mean, you're the Pied Piper. You're like, hey guys, like follow me into that scary forest. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry. And, you know, just always knowing exactly what you want and just, you know, also, but at the same time being able to say like, I fucked up or, you know, I need help, you know? Mm. Um, and there's got to be a lot of courage and, and, and I'm not af afraid. I've never really been a person of any fear. I'm not afraid to piss off a client. I'm not definitely not afraid to piss off a creative. Um, I'm hella not afraid to piss off a brand per team member, you know, but I am, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm very much of the place, like I'm working on this project too. This project is mine as well. Uh, we are a team. There's no I in team. But at the end of the day, like if I'm going to be part of this, like I want this to be something I'm proud of, too. So how are we all going to get there? And then I just sort of, you know, get creative. You know what I mean? You know, I just sort of just do it. I, I always think, like, what's the worst that can happen? Proud Whopper. What? So like it's Forever. a gay burger or what is it? I just don't really believe in the homosexual lifestyle. I think it's cool. I think it's a cool idea. I think it's great. Finally. I, yeah, it's about time. I cried in there because I was overwhelmed. A burger has never made me cry before. It makes me feel supported. It makes me feel proud. And it's just a burger, but I mean, it's baby steps the whole way. We are all the same inside. I think this wrapper means that we all have the same rights. Us as young creatives usually have like we are really scared about failing and, and having uh, an error and fail in something, in anything. It's like the end of our career. And 
like I bet you know that that's not the case. Like if you have a failure, you learn from that. Do you have any like sample from learning from failure? Yeah, Dove sketches too. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, it's, you know, I have a ton of failures. Oh my gosh, we had this one that we won't even talk about ever, but it had to do with like hypnotists and the Beatles. And it was a, it should have been so great. It, it should have been so great. It was year after Dove and it, it should have been like, it. And we, we, we just, we hired the, we probably did, shouldn't hire the director we hired. We, um, we failed miserably. And, um, and it was, you know, it was devastating. Uh, but at the same time, then, you know, something else kind of pops up. Uh, but making mistakes is the best learning and failing is the best learning, you know, I mean, I have what, you know, five, you know, let's say I have 10 wins, but I've got, you know, 150 failures, but, you know, you just kind of look at it and you're like, well, that was fun. And I learned something and I, I got creative and I, maybe you got to learn a new relate. Maybe I learned a new, I meet a new relationship, you know, or, you know, you bond in those traumas and those, those, those failures, you know, with your team, as well as, you know, the you, the team, people you're working with around you. And, you know, if you're really smart, you'll, you'll do a postmortem and evaluate like why you failed. And if you're really smart, you can humble yourself and understand where you screwed up um, so that you can then apply that the next time. So that doesn't happen the next time. Can you have any examples? I mean, maybe from past projects of how you turn some of those no's into yeses, even just for yourself. Oh my gosh, there's been so many. Okay, I have a great one. This is a fun one. So I was doing a uh, a, a freelance stint over at Droga, and this was, oh my gosh, maybe 12 years ago. And uh, this was when they were small, you know, we on one floor and, you know, it was like, and, you know, we were all on one floor and David was in every day. And um, I was given this project and it was for a, um, a an electric guitar company that was launching and they wanted to do like a PR stunt. They wanted to do something fun and big. And the creatives came up with this idea of like, what if we threw, you know, like all these guitars, like these electric guitars, like into a volcano. And we said, it's the end of the electric guitar because it wasn't going to be an electric guitar. It was going to be like a different type of video game type guitar. It wasn't going to be like the old, old electric guitars are out. Like this one's in. And, um, at that time I was like really obsessed and still am and he's, I consider him a great friend of, with Henry Alex Rubin. And I had done a couple of projects with him at that point. Um, you know, at Martin agency, I mean, he was just like real people working with real people and real things is like, was kind of very weird, like 14 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, but I had met him at a bar and I just thought he was like the coolest thing. And I was like, we need to do docu-style and commercials. And I started like plugging him when I was freelancing at like Martin and I got him in a big job there, then at Shiat for Gatorade. And then I was like, so I had him in my head, you know, because <laughs> I was just like obsessed with Henry and I just wanted to do all my projects with him and his team. And um, so they were pitching, telling me this and they were like, oh, we know we could do this, like, you know, visual facts. And they were like, we can like, you know, you know, have a, a fake guitar or a volcano and then we could comp the, the things, you know, it was just kind of like. And I remember being like, why should we do that? Why don't we just shoot it real? And I remember like David Drogo walking past my desk and he was like, 
what'd you say? You want to shoot this real? And I was like, oh yeah, like, why not? You know, like, why would we fake this? Like, this is stupid. Like, we're doing a PR stunt. Like, we should do this for real. And he was like, he started chuckling and just like walked away. And he was like, all right, well, get back to me when you have an idea. So then I brought Henry in to the agency and had him meet the team because they didn't really know of Henry then. I mean, Droga knew because him and Patrick Millingsmith were great friends and everything from Smuggler. Um, but he hadn't really like worked with him. So I brought him in to like meet everyone. And Henry was kind of bringing us through like how he would do this or how he could do it. Um, and we bid on it. And we were all like, just like, we had like no money. We were all like, fuck it, let's just do it. And so we went with Henry. And then after we were like, wait, wait. <laughs> I remember the line producer, we were like, oh my God, like, what are we doing? You know, because an active volcano, like we were, we wanted to throw it into an active volcano. And there's like, you know, I remember Drew Santisario, Henry's line producer at the time, like he's an Italian guy from Long Island. I'm like Italian kid from New Jersey. And he's like, Ronnie, this is fucked up shit. Like, I can't believe you guys like actually like approve this. Like, you know, and I, you know, I was trying to like get ahead. He's like literally contacting every country in the world and every country in the world is like, no, no, you're crazy. No, no. Finally, Iceland is like broke because they had like their bank system blew up and they're like yeah. sure come to Iceland you can dump anything like we can pay <laughs> like we don't care and we were all like sure. like we're going to Iceland um and then it came down to like the guitars so then we needed to like get guitars over to Iceland we had a short period of time that we had to get them over and then I'm like dealing with the lawyers you know and the lawyers are like what do you want to do you know and like dealing with like the laws you know but that was just kind of like, you know, I'll tell you, we, well, so we ended up getting, you know, so then Drew, this is actually kind of funny. So then Drew um, was like, I got, I, he called Walmart. He's trying to get like, we, 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 then we have to get into math. We're like, okay, how many fucking guitars can we get that make it feel like a lot where we don't want to comp in guitars, right? We want to do this for real. All right. Well, 500 seems like a lot. So we need like 500 electric guitars. And then we have to get a volcano. And so there's this, like some volcano, we couldn't even pronounce it. And Iceland would allow us to do it. Great. So Drew orders, he's like, I can order these guitars right now. 500 of them at Walmart, like we're good. And, um, and then I got to get them through customs, but our guys over there think they can get them through. And I'm like, great, you have approval, go ahead, purchase. I think we were waiting for money to come through. So I was like, yeah, just do it. Like we got to get this done. And the, and, and it got stopped. The order got stopped. And it was the only time he could find like, you know, a bunch at one time, like a, a specific brand. I mean, you couldn't get Guitar Hero because we couldn't put a bunch of Guitar Heroes down because they would suit us. So we needed like a non-discreet brand. So Henry gets a call from like the purchasing department at, at, at Walmart and they're like, hey, um, the owner of this company would like to talk to you. He wants to understand like why you want to like you know, what, what you're doing. Like, this is a lot of guitars that you're buying. So he's like, okay, well, can I talk to him like right now? He's like, well, he's having surgery. He can talk to you in two days. <laughs> no. Call his cell phone. He's like, all right, well, can you, ask, and this is a true story. He goes, can you ask him where the guitars are now? Because I have to like get them somewhere. So can I send like a PA, like, or someone to where his guitars are stored to pick them up? And then, so after the call, if he approves it, then I, they're like, sure. So they find out where it is. They call him back and they're like, it's in upstate New York. So he literally sends a PA to upstate New York to just stand outside the storage unit until he has this conversation with this guy who's getting out like his spleen or something. The guy <laughs> called, like, I kid you not, gets on the phone with him, 
like from after surgery, like in his recovery, but he's like, just I, I'm fine with you purchasing. It's just, this is my last amount of guitars. Can you tell me like why you want them? Drew's like bar mitzvah, rich kid, Long Island. <laughs> Five hundred guitars with all its friends, friends and family. He's like, okay, proves it. Boom, guitars get there. (laughs) We get to Iceland, and we have to do more math because we're like plane flying, what level trajectory? We're like doing physics. Like at some point, I pulled Henry aside, and I'm like, Henry, I feel like we have to do like physics. Like I I don't know how to do physics, but like I feel like we need to (laughs) wind speed with like height and like the angle. You know. Meanwhile. David Drogo wants me to text him every day to let me know that like everyone's alive, plane hasn't <laughs> crashed because we have insane amounts of insurance, like $10 million policies. And no, oh, oh, and by the way, I only got insured the day before because nobody wanted to insure us because to go over a guitar, a volcano and drop all those guitars, the door has to be open. So we had to literally like duct tape the DP into the plane. Like I remember him leaving and he was like this with his camera. So like the door was open and he was like this. And I cried when he went up in there. Oh no. <laughs> because and they and they did and 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 basically when they went to do the drop, there was too much um weather that was bad. So they were like, well screw it. See that volcano, let's just jump it over there. And we dumped it into the wrong volcano. And it was like <laughs> a protective volcano that hadn't been stepped on in 3000 years. Oh my God. Yeah. And, but everybody survived. I actually had a cleanup crew that went up, cleaned. I filmed the whole thing to show that for environmental reasons that like nothing, like everything was cleaned up and blah, 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 blah. But we did it. And day two, Henry actually went on uh, because we had to do two drops. And then Henry went up the next day and he actually filmed from on top of the volcano, like them coming down too with a helmet. He wore a helmet because he figured a helmet would protect him if a guitar coming like you know 300 feet ahead like I mean it would kill him like he was insane (laughs) so like that was just an example of just sort of in a long story of just fun being like you know kind of just winging it like you know we had like two dollars they wanted to do some fancy stylized thing and I was like no let's just do it for real and now I have this like fantastic story that's amazing I mean that's amazing (laughs) It sounds like I can, a movie. Imagine, I can imagine the next one when you're filming like this super commercial in in, in someone's kitchen. You're like, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like one of my more dangerous shoots, and that was um, I was scared. Like we were like legit scared, like on a daily basis in Iceland. On that one. <laughs> so you'd say it's probably we should think like. Some failures are not only our responsibility. Sometimes failure comes from the context or something that you can't, um, you can't do anything about. So we should not be that hard on ourselves. So, and that's a way to like develop your creativity as, as young creative mostly. Yeah. 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 hundred percent fail, fail a million times. It's great. <laughs> I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. 
Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. I have to ask something about that because there's something like huge right now since we have Young Lions and some programs and student awards that you win and you start gaining ego from that. And then someone comes and says, okay, but those are student um, awards. That's not like a big deal, but it feels like a big deal to you. How do you deal with that? Like to be um, humble enough to be a good person, but still have your ego and, and yeah, your, your pride of you're doing a great job. How do you manage that? Like that in between, you know, I'll tell you something really personal right now. So, um, you know, when I was at my last agency, you no know, awards were everything. And we won a lot of them, like a lot. And, um, and I had an ego, you know, as long, along with all of us. And, um, I was, when I left, when I left, I, I, you know, and it was time for me to, I, it's just, it was like, you know, 0.30 of the agency and I just wasn't 3.0, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, I wanted to go off and do different things. I wanted to launch pool house, which is my platform. And actually I didn't want to work for a while. I just, I never wanted to be a head of production again. Let me tell you that I wanted to freelance and I wanted to, um, write a book on, uh, mental health, which I am working on. And I wanted to do a documentary, um, And there was so much pressure around awards, you know, and winning and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I could be, you know, I had an ego too. I was right alongside of everybody else. Like, oh, I want to win a con and, oh, I want to, you know, another lion in the pocket. And, and when I left and I, and I resigned and I took some time and I was like, not going to work. And so people were calling me for projects. And I was like, no dude, like I'm like riding horses and like, you know, hanging out on the beach and I'm like doing vegan cooking classes. Like I was like living the dream. I was like, I'm not doing anything. And COVID hit started. He kind of started to hear the, like the rumblings of it. A friend called me and he was like, Hey, can you come help me with a project right now? I'm, I have a small, he has a small, small, small agency. It was in Prera. It's a small agency. And he had a project coming up and he was like, you know, can you please, and I was like, all right, I'll help you with it. If I can work from home, like I'll help you with it. I was in Miami. I didn't want to go anywhere at the time. I came in and I was like, you know, watching the news and I was like, what, looking at the creative. And I was like, you know, 
this creative is like about real beauty and like at home doing your makeup. We should just, I did this one spot one time where we sent women like their own cameras. I think we should like maybe pitch an idea to the client with your fourth day had like four scripts. Why don't you do a fifth script of like, if the girls film themselves, I think we could, I was like, I know how to do this whole remote thing. This whole thing is kind of weird over on the side. Like, I don't know, but it's like my, my producer instincts are like, caution, caution, caution. So they pitched the idea the client, client loved it. And they bought that script. So like going into COVID, like I was already like shooting a commercial. I was like out the gate remote because, and we, we planned it that way. <laughs> so we were like really ahead I'm, and it's a, I'm going to get to the point. Um, and it was great. It was a fantastic experience. And I fell in love with producing again. And it wasn't about the award. It wasn't the most, you know, creative idea. It was the craft of being creative and producing. You know, I didn't win any awards for this. You know, I just had so much fun enjoying the craft. And then PJ called me prayer and asked me, you know, hey, are you like consulting? Because I may need some help over here. And um, I went over and he hadn't had a, had a production in a couple of years. And I came over and I, I was helping him on a project. And we started talking about maybe me coming in full time. And I was like really scared because I didn't want to have that pressure on me again. I didn't want to be, I had at that point begun to produce again and I was having a lot of fun and I found the fun. I had lost the fun because I was so involved with the rest of the team about winning and I lost sight of the fun. And so I finally Obviously, I'm at Prayer Hotel now. I'm the director of production there. And I took the role because PJ promised me a bunch of stuff and he kept to his word. But his biggest thing is, is not to the pressure. It's to have fun. And I've been there now almost two years for, you know, freelance and, and full time. And I love it. You know, how do you catch yourself or how do you keep yourself in check? You know, it's to just remember to just kind of have fun because otherwise, you know, you're going to go through your whole career and it's just going to all be about winning and being recognized as a person. And then you just kind of forget why you do it in the first place. We talk about turning um, all of those doubts, all of those feelings. Some people like just want to prove people wrong. Other people are proving things to themselves. It's about turning motivation into fuel. How do you stop doubt becoming self-doubt? Is there anything that you've learned in that way? I think that whenever you start to have self-doubt, you have to take a step back because that's impossible to move forward. You you know, when you start to doubt yourself, Um, you know, a lot of times self-doubt, I think, comes from external forces. You know, maybe your boss or colleague or someone telling you what you've done isn't enough or it's not good enough or you do begin to lose a lot. So then you begin to create self-doubt, you know, and I think at that point, that's when you kind of need to, like, take a step back and try to understand, is it you? Is it someone else's opinion? Um, I think sometimes if you're having that that self-doubt, you need to take a step back because you can't you got to you got to figure out your way forward and you have to understand well, what is motivating this self-doubt, you know, and then try to um, figure out a way to turn that upside down. I guess if that makes any sense. It does. Yes. I have two last quick questions um, that I would love to, to ask you. Like 
um, from your perspective, um, what's one piece of advice that you wish was shared with you when you were starting out in, in this career? I go, I, I wish someone, I knew this, or I wish I knew that. But then at the end of the day, it's all the things that I didn't know and all the mistakes that I made that kind of made me where I'm at. And I don't know if the road would have been as fun. Um, I think that the things I would say to my little, my younger self um, was keep your ego in check. Um, have more fun. Don't, don't, don't worry about what other people are doing, you know, and like, and just kind of worry about your own job. You know, sometimes I would invest too much time worrying about like, why isn't the brand person like organizing this correctly? And like, why is the creative handling it to me this way? You know, like stay in your lane. I could, if there was a couple things I could go back at, it was like to stay more in my lane because um, where I'm at right now, I'm very much in my lane and I'm really enjoying that, you know? So it's just kind of, you know, just focusing on what you need to do in your task at hand and doing your work. Um, and, and just have a lot, a little more fun. You know, I wish I had, I wish I had a lot, I wish I had a little more fun. I love that guest. That's like a, an amazing wrap up for all the things that you have shared with us. And I really want to ask this. Um, it, it is really important for me as a woman, but for you, um, and you might know women are more likely to feel like imposters, like mo most likely because women are underrepresented and usually, um, like probably before, but now too, um, that we have less opportunities just for being a woman. So um, do you have any advice for us that are growing as females in the creative industry? Sorry, that I have to ask this question. It's really important for me as a woman too. <laughs> Gosh, you know, and I, I started much earlier than you. So I've gone through everything. I've been through the whole Me Too thing. I've been through it all, you know, if you really want to break it down, you know. Um, But I just, I just produce like a producer. So you just need to create like a creator, you know? And, um, you know, I, I put a lot of emphasis, like, like, you know, on doing the work, you know, like, don't, don't look at what the shortcomings are that you're a woman, like, no, you're a creator, you're a producer, you're a director, you're an editor. I think sometimes we need to take that title away, actually. He's a male creative. She's a female producer. She's a female creative. Like we just need to be who the title, the producer, the creator, the creative, the director, and just focus on that um, and just do the best that, that you can do. Because I mean, honestly, you know, when I got down to Brazil, you know, I was, you know, kind of, you know, working in, you know, a different type of culture too, you know, um, very male dominated culture. And I just went down there and I bossed those boys around. I had them like jumping up and down, like jumping jacks. You know what I mean? I was like, I need that script today. I need this tomorrow. I need this right now. Where is that? You know? And I just went in and I just ate them all alive. You know, honestly, going into it now is a much As a, as a woman, if we wanted to use the term woman, you know, you're in a much better shape because you don't have to go to work and, you know, be sexually harassed like myself and my colleagues my age. I mean, we had, I had some horrific experiences, you know, you guys are really, you know, we, we, a lot, we pay the math for you guys, you know, you guys can just go to work and go to work. And that is a really nice thing because, It was really tough there 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago. Um, 
And there's a lot of trauma for a lot of us. Um, but let me tell you something. Those boys did not keep us down. We just kept going. That was fantastic. Veronica, thank you for taking the time. I know you're crazy yeah. busy. Thank you. Thank you so much, really. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and have no fear. The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. The theme music that you're listening to now was created by Hilton Mode of the same company. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous.